much different tone from Donald yes. Trump at the end of the day. A much, much different than the lunch wrap-up, uh, whether that was the spin he wanted to put on it or something that happened yeah. specifically. I, mean, we don't, I don't think we know yet, but yeah, you're right. Well, anyway, we'll let you guys deal with it for the next hour, at least, on the, on the Hill. So it's all yours. We'll deal with it for a few minutes. Uh, all right, Connell, thank you. Great show. We'll catch you tomorrow. Uh, meantime, back in court, but a different venue for the former president, as we've been talking about. Donald Trump's civil trial now underway to determine if he committed fraud by inflating his assets when taking out loans. Trump attending in person, and he blasted the process. It's a disgrace. They ought to look for the murderers and the killers that are all over New York killing people. And the violent crime that's being committed in our city and our state. All right, so we'll get into that. Also today, back up on Capitol Hill, just how safe is Kevin McCarthy's job? We are about to find out as one Republican is vowing to force a vote that could determine who leads Republicans in the House going forward. But it's also a Democrat, Congressman Jamal Bowman, who now faces some serious questions, including this one. Why did you pull the fire alarm? Now Capitol Police are weighing in. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Why did you pull the fire alarm is an interesting question, is it not? We'll I get didn't into do it. it. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do it either. All right, thanks for being here with us here on The Hill on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel, Chris Steyerwald. News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester, of course, the national political reporter for The Hill. Dan Cannonen is a Democratic strategist and former Obama campaign official. And Mark Lauder, chief communications officer at the American First Policy Institute. He also was the former press secretary to the vice president, Mike Pence. We begin today with a major court case, not Donald Trump's. We'll get there momentarily. Did you see what the legendary author Michael Lewis, and this is where we begin, what he is now saying about Sam Bankman-Fried, the former head of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX, whose trial starts tomorrow. Watch here. Sam's thinking we could pay Donald Trump not to run for president. Like, how much would it take? The number was kicking around when I was talking to Sam about this was $5 billion. Sam was not sure that number came directly from Trump. All right. So the claim there is that uh, SBF, the head of FTX, was talking about this idea of throwing around five billion to, to Donald Trump to get him not to run. Seems preposterous. I, I'll not run for president for half that much. <laughs> we got a powerball. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you right now. I, I will take my name out of the running for half that amount of money. Uh, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried is a story of how gullible politicians are. Yeah. Um, the thirst, the desire for access to rich people and money and all of that stuff. Sam Bankman-Fried is an obvious goofus. You can see that he is a, a this is a, a total emperor has new, no clo- no clothes uh, situation. But politicians tripped over themselves to yeah. suck up to this goofus. Here's what I found interesting. In so Michael Lewis, of course, famous author, book comes out tomorrow on SBF. And Sam Bankman-Fried, according to Michael Lewis, was making the point, hey, look, we spend about, the government spends about $15 trillion over the course of four years. During that same time, politicians were given about $6.5 billion. Just a, a percentage of a percentage. And here's what Michael Lewis writes, quote, What surprised Sam, once he himself had unlimited sums of money, was how slowly rich people and corporations had adapted to their new political environment. It just seems like there isn't enough money in politics 
said Sam. People are underdoing it. That we're, The weird thing is that Warren Buffett isn't giving $2 billion a year. Mark, we talk about this idea that there is too much money in politics. SBF, who was worth billions on billions, was saying, look at the percentage. There's not enough. I mean, we think about it. I mean, going back in the 2020 campaign where I was director of strategic communication for Trump, we spent about a billion dollars. Okay. Now, think about Warren Buffett, like, throwing $2 billion per year into the system. I mean, it's... It's scary, I think, what would happen with politicians with that much money. Although I'm sure some of my friends in fundraising would be would happy to take it. <laughs> Julia, you saw that and you just like you just did an eyebrow raise. No, definitely. I mean, we live in an age where there's so much stigma around money um, in politics. You have law candidates essentially saying, "I don't want money from billionaires and millionaires." That there's a stigma right. against this. But then you have Sam Bankman-Fried sort of saying the quiet part out loud mm. and um, you know touching on that. He under, misunderstands, and I think the public does sometimes, what money in politics really means. There are contributions made to candidates that are hard money contributions with a limit of $3,300. Act Blue donations, smaller stuff around the country, that's great. That's people in the system. But what he's exposing and what the author's exposing in this piece about him is how much money they're able to move outside the process. Yeah. With parents, family, friends, billions already in the system we have today. I, I agree with what Sam Bankman-Fried is saying, which is we talk a lot about the money in politics. We spend a lot more money on uh, potato chips or uh, online sports betting. I mean, the, the number of things that we spend extraordinary sums of money on, the place where he's wrong. If money made the difference, Ron DeSantis would be leading the Republican right. presidential nominating contest. Jeb Bush would have won the Republican right. nomination. Hillary Clinton would have been president. Money, if you don't have enough money, you can't win because you can't organize, you can't do the other things. More money does not buy better results. Donald Trump had no money, essentially, in 2016. He, he won. In 2020, he had all the money he could have wanted, and he lost. It just makes you think, it's a great point, but it also just makes you think there will be more billionaires who want to get into politics and influence. And if some think like Sam Bankman-Fried think, you just got to wonder, potentially down the road, uh, what might happen to one or two of them. Anyways, all right, there is, of course, another high-profile political case. This one's civil, but it involves former President Trump. The state of New York is accusing the former president, his eldest sons, and his company of committing fraud by inflating the declared values of his properties and then taking out bank loans on them. Trump attended the first day of the trial, and at least walking into the courtroom, he did not hold back before the cameras. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one one hundred, a tiny fraction of what they actually are. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show. Joining us now is uh, the is Hogan Gidley. Of course, he was a former deputy White House press secretary in the Trump White House. Also joining us to break down the legal side of this, News Nation legal contributor Jesse Weber. Hello to you both, Hogan. Let's start with you. Civil case, not criminal. Donald Trump in the courtroom today, as we saw, he might be back tomorrow. Uh, you know him. What's what's the thinking there? Yeah, look, I think he obviously feels as though this government has been weaponized against him in many ways. This justice system continues to go after him, attack his friends, his family, his his staff, uh, his lawyers, and now his businesses, too. I mean, the notion that Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million is absolutely ridiculous. I've been to Palm Beach many times. I work for Donald Trump. I've been to Mar-a-Lago many times. There are vacant lots 
in Palm Beach that are worth $50 million. So when you have a sprawling landscape like Mar-a-Lago, give me a break. Also, why wouldn't the bank bring something like this against Donald Trump? I mean, if he committed fraud, wouldn't the bank be upset about it? But no, he paid off his loans. He did so with interest. Also, from the political aspect of this, when Donald Trump walked in, sat down, the camera comes in. The judge allowed that camera at the beginning of the, the hearing. The judge is sitting there on the bench, looks up, does a double take, then looks at the camera, takes off his glasses, smiles, and then looks at the crowd and shrugs like the intro to some bad 80s sitcom. I mean, talk about the Democrats just living the dream, weaponizing the justice system against somebody. I wish the judge would take this a little more seriously. And if he took a look at it, he'd realize on its face, this is a witch hunt and it's absolutely insane. Jesse, stand by. I'm going to get to the legal uh, side on you. But, Mark, you used to work in the Trump White House as well. What, again, the thinking of Donald Trump being there today is, in your view? A uh, court of public opinion. Uh, he knows, obviously, the lawyers will handle the court of law, but he will handle the court of public opinion. So he's able to come out and give his narrative on it, much like Hogan just said, you know, the valuation of Mar-a-Lago is, is a joke. Most people get that. I also think most people understand that, like, when you're buying your own house, you know, you look at the bottom line. When you get your property tax assessment, you're like, this is way too high. My house is not worth that much. When you go to sell it, you always think it's worth way more than what, you know, what, what it is. So the, people understand this. They see this going on. And why is it Donald Trump that's always the one that's getting this when, you know, so many other commercial real estate develop? I worked for a commercial real estate developer. You always inflate the price for the bank and you deflate it for taxes. It's standard business. Jesse, there were two very different tones for Donald Trump. One walking in, which you heard, which was um, not thrilled, <laughs> between, somewhere between not thrilled and hostile. Um, but coming out, it was a much softer tone. What happened inside the courtroom this afternoon? Do, do we know yet? That's a great question. I mean, I was on the air with Connell as we were learning this. And if that is true, I know we're still confirming it, but if it is true that all of these transactions before 2014 are not coming in or not part of this case, that is a significant win for Donald Trump. Because, it, again, this case right now, is there's about six remaining claims, whether or not Donald Trump intended to defraud, uh, whether or not he engaged in insurance fraud or falsifying documents. And those years, that period of time, is so significant for this case. I have to say it's curious if that's true, because last week in the judge's rulings, those years were part of his decision. So I don't understand why he would have decided today to not include those transactions, but ruled on them last week. That's the part that's a little curious. Interesting. Uh, Hogan, Donald Trump might be essentially forced, and, and Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but but forced to testify, right? Like, the other side can can call up whoever they want, and that right. would be Donald Trump. If Donald Trump, Hogan, uh, has to go up on the witness stand here, um, how, do, how do you see that shaking out, as, as Mark said in, in the court of public opinion? I know it's not on camera, but, but that would be something. No, it, it, it would be, and Mark is right. No one understands these spectacles and how to use them and manipulate them for the good better than Donald Trump. You saw that fully on display today. Not just what he said, not just how he approaches the camera physically, but his countenance when he sits down, the way his face rests. You saw that with the mugshot, for instance. He knows what to do and how to do it. And quite frankly, he's got some legitimate beef here. A lot, uh, if, you, if you're really understanding the situation with lawsuits and indictments all over the place. 
Fannie Willis, uh, uh, Leticia James, all these people kind of ran on the fact that they would go after Donald Trump. So it's no surprise they actually tried to do something here to get him caught on on a civil case. They they found nothing criminal, of course. Now they're trying this civil route. The whole thing smacks of politics. And I think the majority of the American people understand that. Smacks of politics, uh, has a right to have a beef. Donald Trump called this election interference, Dan. Mm. Well, he's in court. There's evidence being presented against him. And he committed fraud. Like it or not, he inflated massively, not just a little bit, but three times, four times square footage. There wasn't 18 million from Mar-a-Lago. He was claiming it was worth a billion dollars. That fraud means something. Now, you can make an argument of whether this prosecution has a political bent to it. That's, that's a fair argument to make. But the reality for Trump is it's exposing that his business empire was largely built on lies. And that's a problem for him with middle-of-the-road independents who saw him as a su- successful business person and may now see him as a fraud. Hogan, I'll give the last 20 seconds to you. Got to run. Look, he's an American success story. They can't keep him from running. They can't keep him from winning. So they're going to try and strip him away where it hurts. His businesses. He's employed people all over this country. His employees love him. He's successful. He's a billionaire, and everyone knows he's done a great job in business. Shocking that he was able to bring those skills to the White House and improve our nation's economy for all Americans. Got to leave it there. Hogan Gidley, thank you. We'll see you next time. Jesse Weber, thanks as always. Appreciate it. See you guys. Good seeing you. Yep, you too. All right, turning now to the race for the White House. The Democratic presidential candidate, for the moment, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is expected to announce his third-party bid one week from today. In anticipation of the shakeup, a super PAC supporting his candidacy is testing his popularity as an independent, and it could complicate the current state of the race. That internal polling shows that RFK Jr., as an independent, would take away support from former President Trump, in addition to President Biden. Chris, that comes from the super PAC. They obviously have reasons as to why they want to yeah, show that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's just operate under RFK Jr. running as an independent one week from today. The implications are, as you see it, what? Well, they have a Zogby poll, which is not worth very much because okay. it's a Zogby poll. But it's directionally correct. Um, the reality is, and we know from the New York Times reporting and from other places, that RFK Jr. Uh, met with the chairwoman of the Libertarian Party. And many of his financial backers come from sort of the libertarian-ish part of the right. Republican space. Uh, and that lines up with his anti-vax stuff. That lines up with the, uh, his foreign policy stuff. So in a scenario in which Robert F. Kennedy Jr. didn't just leave the Democratic Party but became the libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson, the two-time libertarian nominee, said he would vote for him in a heartbeat, was excited about it. That would give him ballot access across the country. It would be terrible for Donald Trump if Donald Trump was the nominee. It would be a disaster. In 2020, Joe Jorgensen, and you don't know that name because nobody knows that name, was the libertarian nominee in three key states. Arizona, in Georgia, and in Wisconsin, she got more votes than the difference between Trump and Biden. Uh, And that was with Republicans knowing that the race was very close and that Trump was trailing. I think this would be extremely bad news for for Donald Trump. Can you quantify it yet? Like, yeah. I know you just gave, gave the example of the last race, but when you say this would be terrible, like... When you when you look at where... So a lot of Republicans started out, I think, with RFK Jr. as a prank on Democrats. Hey, how come this guy's not getting a debate? Hey, Joe Biden, what's up? It's Isa Kennedy. He's polling at 19%. This guy, blah, 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 blah. As they went on, you know what they found out? Hmm. They liked him. 
They were digging it. They were picking up what he was putting down, his stuff on vaccines, his stuff on the Ukraine war, his other things. He's got nice eyes. And they started saying, oh, I really like this guy. So when you look at his favorable numbers, his his favorability among Republicans is more than twice as high as it is among Democrats. You worried, Lauder? Not even a little bit. No, because the intensity of support for Donald Trump is not going to peel off for our RFK Jr. as a libertarian, as an independent or as a Democrat. So I think there's much bigger likelihood that folks who don't like Joe Biden, but he's still a Democrat. He's a Kennedy. He has the famous name. They could draw. But I have a feeling we can bring more of our voters home. And if we couldn't bring if we can't bring you home, we probably weren't going to get you anyway. Another person to look out for. And I know that he doesn't get the same amount of coverage as RFK, but Cornell West. Cornell West. That's a a real risk for Biden. Yes, absolutely. Especially when you have progressives who might be unhappy with Biden or not enthused by Biden. Look to Cornell West. That's right. All right. Meantime, did you catch this? The Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley received a peculiar gift from the Trump campaign. A bird cage and a large bag of bird food. That right there is in reference to, quote unquote, bird brain. Uh, the new nickname that the former president gave Nikki Haley, she fired back on X by saying, quote, after a day of campaigning, this is the message waiting for me at my hotel room. And then there's certain hashtags there. This is where we are in the presidential cycle, huh? Uh, I, I don't know. I read that the Trump campaign had taken ownership of it and yeah. said that they had done it, mm-hmm. uh, leaving weird, uh, menacing gifts outside of women's hotel rooms is a no. That's a no. You don't do that. Uh, whether it's your rival or not, it's creepy. It's inappropriate. It's and I think for a lot of women uh, in the Republican Party, that's just not. That's not a cool thing to do. Yeah, that and it just, you know, and Nikki Haley points this out in her tweet. It doesn't look mature. It's like here's someone who's campaigning, who's meeting with voters in Iowa or New Hampshire or wherever she was. And then the Trump campaign is busy doing this. Why aren't they talking to voters and such? He lost women 57, 42 in 2020. This is not going to help. All right. Well, coming up, no smoke, but all fire alarm. A Democratic congressman from New York now facing some serious heat for pulling the fire alarm at the U.S. Capitol over the weekend. That man right there, member of Congress. So why did he do it? And what's he saying about it now? That's coming up when The Hill on News Nation returns. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You talk about chaos as if it's me forcing a few votes and filing a few motions. Real chaos is when the American people have to go through the austerity that is coming if we continue to have $2 trillion annual deficits. And if people want to make a motion to vacate because I stood with those men and women in the military and those on the border, that's more than well. Let's have that argument. All right, so who is going to be the Speaker of the House by the end of the week? The Congressman Matt Gates is continuing to vow to put a vote forward to potentially boot Kevin McCarthy from his role. The House Speaker saying, essentially, bring it on. Julia? 
who's going to win this fight? You're the fifth person to ask me that today. Okay. I don't know. Um, look, <laughs> I think coming out of this weekend, Kevin McCarthy certainly had a win. He defied a lot of Republicans and Democrats in avoiding a shutdown. That being said, though, on this particular question of Ukraine funding and Gates going on the floor today and saying, we'll talk about this side secret deal you had with the Biden administration, that's not going to be good for uh, McCarthy's case as well, especially when you have Gates and other uh, hardline conservatives try- trying to tie McCarthy in a way to Democrats saying that Hakeem Jeffries is going to have to get him out of this. So it's going to be it's going to be tough for McCarthy, but I think we've seen McCarthy uh, survive some of these hurdles. All right. So if I was the fifth person to ask you this today, has anyone asked you if you've ever pulled a fire alarm before? <laughs> no. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Anyone here ever pulled a fire alarm no. before? No comment. I have. No comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> not in the college year. Anyone outside of their college years ever pulled a fire? No alarm? comment. Not, you're not. You're not so, getting me, Berman. So over the weekend, Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York, there was the a government shutdown vote. You know, to avert that, uh, he was basically. This is the image here. Pulled a fire alarm, and he says essentially, "Look, I was trying to get out of the building to go vote," and. He denies really any wrongdoing. And now there's a pretty big push up on Capitol Hill to be like, what's up? Try to hold him accountable to this. But, so my question is, and he's saying I was trying to get out of the building. I accidentally, you know, pushed open a door yeah. that set out an alarm. But is that is that the door he's pushing there? Because the door looks like it's behind him. Was there another one? I mean, I think there's a lot of logistics. I would love to see the video. But, but yes. I, I will also point out, just, just to end some of the conspiracy theories here, there's the United States Capitol, and then there's 100 yards of right. space, and then there's four lanes of Independence <laughs> Avenue, and then there's a Cannon office building, which is where he was. He was not in the building. The vote was taking place. I don't buy that the alarm was about the vote. So there it's are odd. So there, it's crazy. So there right. are some who are saying basically, you know, there was this government shutdown vote, and he pulls the fire alarm. So clearly, he was trying to delay the vote. They say you don't. You just. Was, you just you don't think he was that there were was no. any gamesmanship in this. He's just a, a dumb person. Yeah. Why would you pull the fi- Why would you pull a fire alarm if there's confused, no smoke? And the nature of being confused. I've, oh, I've known a lot. Of, I've known a lot of members of Congress who weren't that bright. But I, I know all of them that know the difference between a switch on the wall and a door. And, and this guy was a principal of a school of anybody. You should know the difference between a fire alarm yeah. and the. And no, a, no, no he's either that there. stupid no or, he's, or he's. But you're lying. not going to pull an alarm in a different building to delay a vote. The, in a building I heard, and Julia will know the answer to this. I, I read a statement from his staff that basically said he didn't know it would trigger right. it for the whole campus. He thought it was just the building. But even then, what said. does that matter? Well, <laughs> my, but my, but my guess. If, if I had to impugn his motives here, I would I would say he was trying to buy time for Democrats to get in in there to vote, right? Or that they were afraid something was going on. They were trying to delay the proceedings. And it would not be the first time in congressional history where people engaged in some chicanery to try to buy a little time on the floor to wrestle somebody in there. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we know the famous story of Tom DeLay uh, when they were trying to pass Medicare Part B yep. uh, and they're dragging Republicans down to the floor of the House. People do stuff all the time. I'm not saying it's okay, but I I mean, it happens. All right. Lots of questions. Still (laughs) pulling the fire. Coming up, our Pulse of the People series part two. We, Chris, goes back to Iowa, where Chris sits down with voters ahead of the nation's first caucuses in January. This was a fascinating look. Part one from the other day, part two coming up. The campaign issue that they say is dividing Republicans. We'll hear and watch from Chris coming up. All 
right, welcome back here to The Hill. Now to our exclusive focus group. News Nation political editor Chris Steyerwalt traveled to Des Moines, Iowa recently to meet with local voters and learn what those on the ground there are thinking ahead of that state's crucial first in the nation caucus. It is part of a series that we are calling Pulse of the People. Chris, the, the first look at this that we aired uh, last week was fascinating. Uh, what are we going to see here? Well, I think what you're going to see are <clears throat> a lot of voters, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to see a lot of voters who have strong opinions, but whose minds might be changeable. And I think mm. something important to remember here is we have clear delineation in the Republican field, but the actual caucus goers themselves are still really weighing these questions in their hearts and in their minds. Interesting. All right. Here it is. Uh, we'll chat on the other side. We really need uh, a leader that can take charge, take command, and stay focused on what uh, the most pressing issues are. We need someone to let the, the world know that we're not going to be their puppet. Going back to the old Republican Party would definitely be better than what we've got going on right now. But I promise you that some of you in this room will change your minds before we get to the 15th of January. And you don't know it now. How's the conversation going? How, how are Iowa Republicans doing with each other? Are they being nice to each other? Are they being respectful with each other? Or, or is this getting gritty? I would say the Republicans that I've talked to have been very cordial with one another. And there's so much common ground that ties us together. It's all based on emotion. And I've done that before. So, you know, nothing happened with, a, I fell in love with Obama. And it turned out it was a hope and nightmare. Issues make it really harder, right? Because you can have feel good feelings or bad feelings about this candidate or that candidate, but we get to sticking points. And a big sticking point for Iowa caucus goers has tended to be about abortion and questions of life. For whom here is abortion, life, sanctity of life, are those things a top five issue? Top five. Top ten? Is there any so you, top top ten? Okay, is there anybody here who it's the number one issue? Okay. Who here uh, has heard about the fifteen week ban, the federal fifteen week ban that Tim Scott talked about in the ad that's being discussed a great deal at Iowa? And Mike Pence and Tim Scott both support this. And Nikki Haley says you guys are making a mistake that we shouldn't be talking about abortion this way because it's a loser in the general election you're nodding your head brent what does that resonate with you it does because he mentions legislation on his desk it's not going to happen you're not going to get 60 votes Mm -hmm. to have a 15-week abortion ban so it's not realistic to talk that way i wish it was but it's not i mean I, i look at nikki haley as pretty much a rhino. But if it came right down to it and I had to vote for Nikki Haley, I would because... So it's a, be, it's, a, it's a rhino for whom you might caucus. It, it is. Okay. And I, and I, this is the first caucus I've been to, and I've, like I was saying earlier, yeah. I've been to 2008, 12, 16. This is the first one I'm, I'm not decided. I was already decided way before 8, 12, and 16, I knew who I was going to caucus for. Now I'm not 100% sure. I say, Nikki Haley, you say... 
UN leader. Okay, diplomat. Okay, what's your word? Different. Different. Unappealing. Intriguing. Oh, a little crack in the dam. Okay. Nikki Haley. Dynamic. Dynamic. Proud American. Proud American. Smart and savvy. Rhino. But I like, I'm going to travel with you to unpack Rhino. Like we got, we got to have like positive Rhino now. I like this. We're, we're bringing, bringing Rhino back. Uh, Ambassador. I'm dignified. Is anybody else uh, interested in Tim Scott? Open to Tim Scott. Might you're a maybe you're a yeah well we know yes you're 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 like the Republican energy policy all of the above you'll take well everybody but would you yeah caucus for Scott would you caucus for Scott no no that's a no well you're not going to caucus you might I I would uh, based on his uh, his faith you know he's a Christian I don't agree with him and some is you know is is he winnable. That's what I'm thinking. Can he win about. a general yeah, election? Yeah, can he win the general election? You know, if I had the inkling that he could, I probably would. I would so it might you know, it could happen yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh, Shirley, would you caucus for Tim? Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. No. No. You're, you're ride or die. Yes. Okay. I like that. Okay. You, I like that you guys will cancel each other out on caucus day. You guys will just go and absolutely cancel each other out. That's uh, no. Uh, is that, let, what, let's, let's imagine that Donald Trump has become, he, he is not running for some reason, because would you in that, could you imagine a scenario then where you would support Tim Scott? No. No, still no. I think I, I, I'm. Would you go to DeSantis? Probably. You yeah. go, you'd go to DeSantis. Is there anybody else who, maybe? There's probably no other maybes in that, because I feel like they're all going to take us back to, and Vivek. Rhino squish. <laughs> well, Vivek is. Um, I like what he says. There's just, there's, I'm old enough to know that you got to trust your gut sometimes. Did I get a Ramaswamy word from everybody? Just honest. Yeah, okay. Do you have aggressive? aggressive? <laughs> Dynamic. Dynamic? Inexperienced. Inexperienced. Yeah. Hey, he's super. Super. Yeah, he's super. I like him. He's been a very yeah. successful business. Successful. Man. That's pretty good. Too good to be true. Snake, oh, I think, was your, yes. was your first one. <laughs> but when I was in the, the right. town hall, yep. if you listen to him, he kept saying that, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, before I know it, I'm sitting there going. On day one. Uh, dictator, so you no, know that there's Congress that this has to go. So Nola, what's your through. word? What's your when I say Ramaswamy? What's your word? Snake. Snake. Oh, we <laughs> got no used car salesman. Okay, used car salesman. Well, my first thing I think of is where did he come from? Okay, in the middle of nowhere, it's just this guy is young and energetic. Pops up out of the middle of nowhere. He can do M and M with a bunch of <laughs> okay, with a bunch of money. Okay. Okay. Well, he's from my hometown, Cincinnati. Oh. He is in the black community. I support that. Yeah. Any somebody who's a Republican is going to go in the black community. I support that type of thing, and a lot of them won't go there. So, uh, so that's a good inside feeling for what it's like in a caucus itself, because in a focus group in Iowa, you're actually kind of replicating what goes on when you go to caucus, because you have to go stand in a firehouse with a bunch of strangers who are just as weird as you are and have a conversation about, well, who do you think? And of course, as you guys know, if you don't meet a certain minimum viability at your caucus, your candidate's out of the running and those people have to redistribute themselves around the room. So it was absolutely fascinating just to be there and hear that interplay. And as you all heard, 
there's there's movement underneath the top, right? People have opinions, but they're but they're really chewing on it. So, Chris, one of the things when I was listening, and I'd be interested, you were there. Is this mostly about personality and the candidates? Because it sounds like, with some limited exceptions, maybe on the life, the abortion issue, they're all agreeing on the policy. Yeah, I think I think there's broad consensus on the policy. The phenomenon inside the Republican electorate this year is, and next year is, they support Donald Trump in a primary against basically Joe Biden and the Justice Department. The reason that Trump has not has actually been strengthened under these indictments and the fraud charges against him and all of this stuff is Republicans don't want the energy coming from these folks is very real. They don't want to be seen as betraying Trump. On, you, you won't make me give up my man. You won't make I. You can't say that about Donald Trump. Only I can say that about Donald <laughs> Trump. And so it has caused them to be defensive of Trump and to and to gather around him. What I wonder is, as we get through and the debates keep happening and we get closer, whether that tension and boy, Nikki Haley. Yeah, let's talk about uh, her for a second. What what a good day she had there. Uh, Nikki Haley. She's a according to that one folk a rhino Republican in name. Only is 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 the meaning there. The the issue of abortion, though, which which you hit on there, you know, calling Nikki Haley a rhino, right? Here's the numbers nationwide, though. 2022 exit polls: abortion should be legal or illegal. 60 percent of the country, as we saw in the uh, midterm elections last year, said uh, that it should be legal. How do Republicans, when you have, you know, folks saying, "Oh, Nikki Haley, she's a rhino," how does that square with then winning a general election? When this issue is so front and center for many. America is a uh, pro-life nation, and it is a pro-choice nation. America is overwhelmingly pro-choice in the first trimester of pregnancy, and it is overwhelmingly pro-life in the last two trimesters of pregnancy. What Nikki Haley is alluding to here, what, what she's getting at is, if Americans perceive the Republican Party as the party of banning abortion completely, then it will cost Republicans dearly. But that's where Tim Scott is saying, hey, we just want to draw the line at 15 weeks, which is actually about where the the national consensus yeah. is. I think the problem, though, is in that focus group answer, the first question you asked, who here has abortion as their top five, top ten? No one had it number one. I think one person had it like top five, only one out of ten, eleven. That's the issue. Republican voters have gotten what they wanted out of the court and abortion and now look sitting back on their heels. Democratic voters are hot on this issue. And in 30 special elections, Chris, this year, Democrats have outperformed the partisan trend in those districts by 11 points. And that is the most predictive thing in a fall election the next year is that special election indicator. I think but I think when you, when, when you get Tim Scott... Mike Pence, who's obviously been very pro-life, his, you know, ultra pro-life his entire career. SBA list. Ron DeSantis even came out and said a federal 15-week ban. And if you can start that narrative, because the one thing Democrats did a very good job of was just we're, we're for abortion and they're extreme. Great. We have just put out a middle of the road. When you start to see this unity coming behind 15 weeks, so then where will Democrats draw the line? They won't nine nine months, eight months. Where will you draw the line? And when they and when Republicans can come behind that unifying message, and states can go further if they want to, that kind of an idea. So Ron DeSantis or whomever at six weeks, if you go and say, well, Democrats, where do you draw the line? They can't draw the line. They won't draw the line. They're liberal, outrageous. You know, they're going to insist. On abortion up until the moment of birth. We've heard this from Republicans up on this panel. It's part of a messaging issue that Republicans need to to get out in front of. Fascinating stuff. So good. Once again, so good. I told you it wasn't so good. It was no, it's so so good. good. And I I got (laughs) and I got to eat at the eight hundred one. There you go. There you go. It's all worth it. Des Moines, awesome. Exactly. I promise you, Des Moines is incredible. Coming up. 
Is it time to ditch the tape measure? The new way the U.S. military is now looking into measuring physical fitness among the armed forces and why those concerns rest with uh, some who are quote-unquote skinny fat. We'll break it on down when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, so it is no secret that the U.S. military is having recruitment issues with the Army, Navy, and Air Force all projected to fall short of their recruiting goals. Active duty troops could also now struggle to meet physical fitness requirements as well because of a change in the way that they are measured for some of the services. Joining us now is Washington News Nation, Washington correspondent Evan Lambert. Uh, Evan, I saw the headline over the weekend, and, and this got me doing a double take. It sounds like the military essentially is trying to figure out how to reevaluate how it measures physical fitness, right? Right, Blake. Yeah, looking for a more accurate measure. So, for example, the Army had been taking a body fat uh, percentage that they've been trying to calculate, a standard there, uh, by several different measurements with a tape measure on the body, using that to calculate it with weight and height. So there's a plane going overhead right now, you can hear. But right now, they're going to be using uh, just one measurement around the waist. And then, for even more accuracy, if a soldier fails that, they can request a second test with some newer technology, those body scan machines that essentially make that calculation automatically. So that's something that has been happening in the last couple months. And the Navy, another branch, for example, is currently studying that to see if it's more accurate. Uh, the Army, at least, expecting that because of that more accurate one place on the body measure, that more soldiers could fail that test. And they essentially have to uh, ask for a second opinion with one of those machines or something to try to uh, find out if that was off and then they get into uh, this program where they have to be brought up to the standard. Blake? Interesting. All right. Evan Lambert live for us outside of the Pentagon, which also is down the road from Reagan National Airport, as you heard uh, there in Evan's report. <laughs> Evan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, Julia, um, here was a sentence that, that caught my attention uh, in, in this article. It said, quote, as to sort of where you measure. The Army says it's at a soldier's belly button, which is easy, easy to find, but kind of high. The Navy says it's, it's at the iliac crest, which makes sense if one has heard of an iliac before. Yeah. <laughs> the Air Force and Space Force say it's between the lowest rib and the top of the hip bone. You know, like, I, I'm going to preface this and say I'm not a doctor, a medical expert, nutritionist, no. whatever. But it seems like they, all of these branches of the military need to be all, all on the same page. I'm sort of surprised they don't have one overall standard for this. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my number one takeaway. Sadly, it doesn't surprise me that they don't agree. But, <laughs> no, just, but I mean, this reminds me that what that a doctor. I've been Doctor Manchester. Yeah, I've been getting prescriptions from her for you. This reminds me of that old adage about you know when we were going into space and the government spending millions to develop a pen that could write in space and the Soviets used a pencil. Right. You know, I mean, how much money are we wasting on this? It's like, can you do this many sit-ups or push-ups? Can you run this fast? Are you meeting the standards for your age and your gender? Let's just get on with this. I just, I, I can't, I can't believe that they're still like taking the tape measure and putting it around like you're at like a... <laughs> Well, I, I like to think of myself, I know that I'm not a skinny fat. I'm just a fat fat, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm there on that. But I, I, I must say this. 
The recruitment goal problems for the military, yes, this is part of it. But the larger recruitment goal problem, I think, is in part rooted in our political space and our public space trashing America constantly. Uh, The constant running down of the United States that you hear in both parties uh, that is so common today, it's not doesn't sound like something worth fighting for. And I think that's something we need to turn away from. All right. Well, meantime, police in Philadelphia continue to search for suspects who are accused of looting several stores last week. Now, officials released more surveillance video in hopes that the public can help them find those suspects. You see some of the video here. Joining me now is Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, She comes up here in about nine minutes' time. Elizabeth, we've seen a lot of this video, unfortunately, really all across the coast uh, in the recent months. And and here's Philadelphia. Yeah, actually all across the country. And these new videos that are out today... um, are from those two nights of looting we saw last week around a protest of uh, police brutality and the shooting death of of a man there. Uh, The protest was hijacked by about 100 looters, some of whom the police are still looking for. So late today, Philadelphia police released all these videos. They're pretty astonishing. I mean, you see people using hammers and and sledgehammers and crawbars to break through the glass. They steal everything from, you know, uh, computers to uh, uh, prescription pills to big screen TVs. Uh, so we're going to weigh in with one business owner who is in that district has been hit repeatedly um, by these looters night after night, as well as with a local official about what they're trying to do to crack down on this and whether or not these liberal uh, bail reform laws have anything to do with it. And as you said, Blake, this is not just a problem in Philadelphia. It's a problem yeah. across the country. We've seen this kind of crime really spike uh, since the mm-hmm. pandemic. So we're going to dive right into that in just a few minutes right here. Yeah, it seems like that in California as well. All yeah. right, Elizabeth, thank you. Sure thing. Appreciate it. Yep, and you can watch Elizabeth Vargas report 6 o'clock Eastern, about seven minutes from now, right here on News Nation. Coming up, it's not a shakedown by a seven-year-old. One sweet tw- treat is indeed inflation's latest target. How much you will now have to pay for a box of Girl Scout cookies. Have you seen this when we come back? Heading east and west, day and night. Truck drivers are the unseen heroes that keep our country running. Morning in America is dedicating a full week to the men and women behind the wheel. All this week, 6-5 Central on Morning in America. All right, so before we say goodbye, here is a story that caught our eye. The latest victim of inflation is now Girl Scout cookies. America's favorite treats will now sell for six bucks in some states, up from $5 last year. It's a 20% raise. For your Girl Scout cookies. Now you got to make change. That's the 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 five dollar. <laughs> that was price. my first thought too. Yeah, the five dollar price point is so good because in the wallet bank. Yeah, here's five bucks. And now you got to make change. We I mean, got Venmo options. Yeah, well, that's you, okay. In a, in a lot of Girl Scouts, actually, they have um, the device. You know, you can just uh, not yeah, Venmo, but yeah, 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 you can just swipe well, your QR code. Yeah, QR code. Yeah, yeah it's bad perfect. news for Biden. And Biden's going to get blamed for it. I'm going to blame him for it. Here's what I here's what I didn't realize. Can we show that the the flavors. There's now a dozen Girl Scout cookie flavors. What's and an adventureful? I don't know. I was just looking at this and I had no idea. Toast Six yeah. bucks though. I mean, I. That was yay. Oh, I'm in. It's you got a favorite. It's coffee tastic. Look at all this. I'm gaining weight just like caramel looking. chocolate chip. <laughs> the s'mores. Where's this good stuff? I, I mean, I've just been living on a thin mint I, world. Thin mint, and yeah, a little thin did I know. And 
Thin Mints is all I knew. It's magnificent. Four bucks, four dollar Thin Mints is what I knew. Now it's six dollar Thin Mints. Anyways, Back thank, in you my day. thank you. Thank <laughs> you.